about monumental sports and entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our listening audience or our viewing audience on Facebook Live. And if you're listening and would prefer to be watching, go to Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. I've got a co-host sitting next to me who I'm happy uh, was able to make it in today. Thought he'd be again at, is Maryland home against Minnesota? At noon, yes. Yeah. And nobody's interested in Well, Phoenix? they are, They are, but I had to get somebody to work the game because what I thought was a Nats game at 7.05 turns f- out to be a Nats game at 4.05. Oh, so Nats and the Orioles are up against each other right. on Masson. Well, actually, it I, is it Masson or are they both Fox games today? I don't know what the Fox window is today. I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure I heard Tom Davis saying we'll, to Jim Palmer, we'll talk to you tomorrow oh, okay. after so, the game. So I think that's the case. Uh, we are here with the bat around, and I've, I'm pulling up, as I'm talking here, I'm pulling up the... No, you, uh, I was I was laughing during the open, Yeah, uh, and, and Brittany looked at me like I was nuts. Not that that's anything new, right? but, uh, you, you know, when you come on and you're yelling, Ooh, you know, peanuts, peanuts, you know, that kind of thing. The only thing I can ever think of is the the mash episode where they try to uh, hose Frank Burns into thinking he made a bet on a game that's being played right now. That although was it great. was it was earlier, right? Was and they've great. got Klinger in the background. You know, everybody's yelling, "Peanuts, popcorn!" <laughs> and Klinger yells, "Goulash!" <laughs> Very funny. Very funny. I remember that episode. Uh, I love that episode, and I love the episode of Tuttle. Remember oh yeah, Tuttle? yeah, yeah. Tuttle. There's a piece of Tuttle in, in all, all of us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are here for the next two hours. A great group of guests today. We have a return visit by our friend uh, from Big Bats, Steve Garland, who's going to give the, us the Bay Bridge. I should have wore the shirt today. That's no, okay. He mm. he knows we give him a lot of love. All right. Um, he will join us in about ten minutes. We'll talk to him a little bit about his recovery, the Bay Bridge traffic report. And uh, his thoughts on uh, what's uh, becoming a, a little bit of a smoking story around the Orioles. Uh, and we'll get to that in just a second. Ed Matz joins us at about 1025. Mel Anton, that's of ESPN, Ed Matz. Mel Anton of Masson uh, will join us at 1045. Then my friend Lee Lowenfish, my ex-professor and a great baseball writer, Lee Lowenfish will join us at 11.05, and then a good friend of uh, Craig Heiss, and he's become a good friend of mine as well, Bill Latson of MLB.com. And now he can go ahead and enjoy that one-game playoff between the Yankees and the A's, and you know, because every time the Yankees are losing, right. I get these text messages that say, you know, oh, yeah, Yankees are losing, I'm blaming you, right? Or the other night it was... I got pl- plastered with champagne last night, and I'm blaming you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry you had to go into the uh, Boston uh, celebratory uh, clubhouse Did he there. have to cover that? Yes, he oh, did. Okay. Because he's, yeah, that's right. He's with MLB.com. All right. Uh, anyway, we'll talk to Bill Latson. Uh, Craig, the Orioles lose last night, and the Nats lose last night. Mm-hmm. Did uh, Jacob DeGrom's performance... 
Um, he, he runs his record up to 500 now at 9-9. Nine and nine. Yep. We went through this last week, and then I did my first show on Masson uh, the other day with Rob and Mel and Dave Johnson, and that became a big topic there sure. as well, uh, Scherzer versus DeGrom. Well, and also I, add Aaron Nola into that equation. I mean, he's had a great I, year for Philadelphia. Yeah, he I think was he's good. Probably, I think he's probably third in the, yep. in the race of between the three of them. Uh, but Nola was gr- I mean, uh, DeGrom was great last night. Now, yep. he, went, he went seven innings, or actually, yeah, seven innings, struck out to eight, and uh, winds up, you know, with 23 now straight quality starts, 28, I believe, three runs or less in a right. row, and that's a major league record. So, uh, you know, you can slice it any way you want to. He was fabulous last night. Right. Uh, Joe Ross, he winds, he winds up going six. And, you know, he kept the Nats in the game. He had, a, he had a rough third inning, but then the third time through the lineup, you know, you know, you always hear that, you know, the tough part is the third time through the lineup yep. for a starting pitcher. He actually handled that better than he handled the first, first two, two times. times. Right. How was uh, Scherzer on Thursday night? 13 strikeouts and, and seven innings. And did he get the win or no, did he lost? He gave up back-to-back home runs, okay. gave up a two-run shot to Conforto, and then gave up a uh, – uh, a solo to Bruce back-to-back in the third inning, and that was the extent of it. So, uh, again, they lose in 12, 5-4 to four in right. that yeah. game. Okay. Uh, but, you know, Scherzer did nothing in my mind to, to hinder his His chances his to chances? win the Cy Young no. Award. I still get back, I, you know, I know the, the analytics people, the sabermetricians, uh, don't value wins the way they were once valued, but uh, no, they, don't, they don't value them like they once were valued. They don't value them at all. Well, I don't. You know, I, but, I mean, let's but call when I got, a, I when I got a guy with seventeen versus a guy with nine, absolutely, I got to go with the guy with seventeen. Well, and that's my thought of it too. But I was on my station right. down in uh, oh, Washington. You own, you own a station? No, now? you know, I was on the station that I work for down in D.C. And we do a segment called the Beltway Blitz. Right, uh, where they handle the, just the local teams, and they go to one of the you know beat people who who cover that team, and and I said to Grant Paulson, who I have the utmost respect for, yeah. and his baseball knowledge, and I said to him, I said, you know, I understand uh, people don't value wins as much, and they don't think they mean anything. I said, but you go ask any starting pitcher whether or not wins means anything, and they'll tell you, oh yeah, it means a lot to me. And I said, if you ask Max Scherzer that, he's going to tell you that. And Grant said to me, he says, well, Grant, you know, he says, uh, Max would be wrong in that situation. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, you go tell Max Scherzer that and see what kind of a baseball uh, conversation you get into. Well, I brought up the other night on that, and I I think I may have brought it up. Uh, I brought it up on Mass, and I may have brought it up here last week. When I was about 19, 20 years old, I used to park cars in Atlantic City, and my boss that owned that parking lot in Atlantic City had the parking concession at Veterans Stadium, 1972. Mm -hmm. So I made it over to Veterans Stadium quite often because he got me into the games and he gave me free parking, and Philadelphia was only about 40 minutes away from Atlantic City. I saw Steve Carlton, when you tell me wins don't make a difference, that team won 55 games that year. 54, I think it was. And he won 27 games. A, a start, a great starting pitcher, or one really truly worthy of winning the Cy Young Award in a given season, they are a difference maker for their team. Sure, and I think you could argue that 
boy, where would the Nats be without Max Scherzer? They'd be like a 65-win team, at this a 60-win team. At this point, I would have to agree with that. So he becomes uh, you, much more valuable to me. If you count out the way this season has played out for the right. Nationals and you, you throw Max into that equation, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, you know, to argue that wins don't mean anything for a pitcher, then do they mean anything in the win-loss record? Well, of course they do. Yeah. Of, of course, course they, they do. do. Because if you're winning games as a pitcher, that means your team wins. Right, right. But I also, and you you were around when we saw Steve Stone have that amazing year. 25 wins, yeah. You knew that when he went to the mound that year, that team was going to win every game. Or had, that, that has or a, had a value. damn good chance of doing that it. That has an incredible value to me. Yeah, you know, and, that, and it, that, for, on the team's psyche and everything, yep. absolutely. Yeah. In in the fact that he's the horse that's keeping your bullpen fresh. And to that, to that area or to that thought, I can't tell you how many times you're in a clubhouse, in the Nats clubhouse, right. after a skid or something like that, right. and, and you send Max Scherzer out to try to s- stop that skid. Everybody's saying, the, you know, well, yeah, we lost tonight, but we got Max going tomorrow. We feel pretty good about yeah, that. Yeah, it's a, it, it's it's a psychological, a psychological thing. Yeah. thing. I mean, that, that year, look, it didn't keep the Phillies from finishing in last place. But it kept them from a historically bad right. season. But I mean, and just the force of his nature, Steve Carlton that year. Yeah, and I think Scherzer deserves that same respect. Well, and and Degrom was absolutely fabulous last night. Not taking anything away from him. Uh, yeah, he's had a great season. He, he's had a great year in terms of his his numbers. Uh, but I mean, Max, him, Max him, is sitting there right now at. 290 strikeouts. Right. So he's going to strike out more he's than He's first in all the other categories right. except ERA. Except ERA, yeah. right. All right. Uh, what are you making of the reports that are, you know, Bob Nightingale came out with it yesterday. Uh, John Heyman followed that. And, uh, you know, that Buck Showalter, which is, frankly, it's just not that big a surprise to me that there's discussion of this. Um, you would have liked to have seen it just happen after the season because we know buck we like buck and we hate the fact that he has to be asked these questions mm-hmm. publicly yeah, yeah and especially the last week of the season yep uh no surprise you know and like we've discussed before if you would have asked me this two months ago i would have said well buck stays and dan goes right but since dan was the one that made all these moves i mean it's totally on him but the other part of it is you have to look at it and say well the decline of this team, how much of that is Dan giving Buck the, the the roster to work with? Okay, so you know some of it does have to fall on Dan. Uh, so we'll just wait and see. Uh, I, I really think, I, and it's one of those things where, for me personally, I would like to see either both of them go or both of them stay mm-hmm. and not split it up. Yeah, because that to me it, it makes it look like. One was more guilty of of the downfall than the other, and that's just not the case. Right. Well, I think uh, there's a lot a lot at play there. Um, you know, listen, if Peter were in good health, I think it probably might be playing out exactly the opposite mm-hmm. of this way. Um, but it is it as Brian Billick used to say, it is, it what, is it what it is. is you know, um, listen, I did some numbers here, Buck Showalter. Right at this moment, his record as manager of the Baltimore Orioles. Two under 500? No, nine under, uh, 11 under 500. I've got 667, 678. Okay. 1,345 games, 495 winning percentage. At their best under Buck Showalter, and I'll include the best being last year's 22 and 10 start, 
back to 2012. Buck was 466 and 376, 842 games, 553. But oh, uh, 553 winning percentage. But Boy, his, that went in the tank yeah, quick, didn't it? <laughs> but his winning percentage since the 22 and 10 start last year, mm-hmm. the ball club is 98 and 186. Yeah. That's a 345 winning percentage. There's not, frankly, there's just not a lot of managers that survive that type of no. There's not stretch. There's not. But I think uh, I think when you look at it, uh, and, and this even dates back to the one game playoff against Toronto, right? Uh, I mean, he will ever be known. That's part of that legacy. Yeah, that's, that's part of be, the legacy. There's no be question part of about the legacy. It. Not using Zach Britton and bringing in Ubaldo to start that inning. <clears throat> Pardon me, but uh, I, I I'm of the agreement or or of the belief rather that it should be either both or yeah. you know both should I, go or stay or not. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that hasn't been written or heard much. We we keep hearing Duquette's going to be back now and Buck's going to be gone. I don't think Dan is not going to have a boss. In other mm-hmm. words, I don't think the chain of command is Dan to John Angelos. Somebody is going to be installed in, in between a, in, as a base president of baseball operations, which is what Dan really wanted to be. But I think they're going to work it out that he's got a boss. That, mm. that I don't think Dan is the 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 guy that's talking to the media every day. <coughs> Excuse me. Some. <coughs> Breathing should be pretty easy. Yeah. Breathing should be pretty easy. That was, uh, <laughs> That's your doctor on the phone, by the <laughs> way. It was. It was my cardiologist. Anyway, uh, we've got Steve Garland on the phone, so okay. let's find out how he's doing. Speaking of doctors, we go to the doctor at Big Bats. He operates every day there on, uh, in Stevensville, Maryland. Let's go to Steve Garland. Steve, how are you? Uh, good morning, guys. How are you guys doing today? Steve, you, you missed a great show last week because... I had my Big Bats T-shirt on in full display for everyone. Well, that's great. You make sure you kind of make sure that happens more often, okay? <laughs> that's right. And you keep making sure those free hamburgers keep <laughs> happening. Yeah, well, we, you guys, all you got to do is get across that bridge if we can make that happen. All right. We'll be there at about 1245 right. today. I think <laughs> okay. we got time. Hey, uh, hey, Steve, first of all, how you feeling? How's the knee uh, replacement surgery coming along? The uh, knee's uh, getting a little bit better every day, so uh, I'm done with therapy. I'm uh, just, just just continue on trying to have a normal life now, so everything's going well. All right, that's great. Tell us, um, first of all, I know you were back at work, and you've been back at work a little bit. Uh, how What was going on last weekend as Florence was pummeling South Carolina and North Carolina I heard more people talking about taking a quick drive down to the beach last weekend. I mean, I know they weren't thinking they were going to get sun, but was it a was it a fairly crowded week on the bridge last weekend? Uh, there's a good bit. A lot of people, when the weather wasn't supposed to be as bad as it's supposed to have been, so a lot of people went down. It was bike week last weekend. I don't think they had as many motorcycles as they normally had. But, uh, there's, you know... That 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 traffic from from wherever to Ocean City always seems to be steady, no matter what weekend it is. All right, how's it looking this morning? Right now, it's not much traffic out. I know they have Sun Festival this weekend, which is a very big thing in Ocean City, and uh, 
and traffic was really, really, really bad last night. But today it doesn't look like there's much going on right now. So I guess everybody got out of Dodge last night. I lived in that town for about four to five years, and one of my favorite times of the year uh, was the Sunfest because the, the the main summer crowd is gone. Yeah, there's and yet a, the girls were still wearing bikinis. <coughs> well, the weather's warm enough for that to happen. But uh, uh, the bottom line was you had everybody down in the inlet doing their shopping and things and that. Lots of tents set up. Uh, just a real nice time. A lot of people without it being overcrowded, if you will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it's, it's, I think it's one of the most, uh, let's say, the m- mature weekends they have in Ocean City. Um, Orioles, uh, some news has been breaking over the last 24 hours. I, I don't think it comes as a huge surprise with a team uh, with the record the Orioles have this year of uh, 44 and 109, but uh, there are various reports that uh, Buck Showalter is going to be relieved of his uh, job at the end of the season um, yeah. and that Dan Duquette may very well be back. Uh, your thoughts on uh, how that may play out? Well, I can understand why upper management, uh, the Angelos, would want to make a change. Uh, I just can't see how you can make one change without the other change. Um, to me, there had kind of been a package, and uh, I've always been more negative on Duquette's side than Showwater's side. But of course, the record kind of stands for himself with the amount of losses we've had over the last year and a half. So... Uh, I don't see it unusual, but I would like to. I would like to have some more fresh ideas up at top. You know, well, I, I, was, I the way I'm reading the tea leaves is that I do think Buck is going to be relieved of his duties, um, and I think Dan Duquette. It's looking more and more like he's going to stay, but I have a feeling there's going to be somebody, and I don't think any longer that it's Brady Anderson, but I think some veteran baseball person is going to be at the top of the of the management chain as the liaison to ownership in other words uh, whether it's a, a John Hart a Dan O'Dowd I think somebody is going to be installed there that's going to be Dan's boss well if that happens then really Dan Duquette is just a He's just go for in between, so uh, I wonder if he'll even stay around when he gets that type of position. Well, I think he will because I think he will be charged with being the, the, the baseball ops guy, but I think there'll be somebody that will be the guy that is at the press conferences when the Orioles announce things. I just don't think they feel he's the sets the right tone in those uh, environments. Well, I, I kind of agree with that. I've Over the years he's been in that position i've never really got excited when he talked right and uh and he, he seems well there's no change in his tone of his voice when he talks no matter what he's talking about so right. uh, so if i uh, had to ask you steve garland owner of big bats uh, uh for just two or three positives that you've seen say since august 1st would cedric mullins be up at the top uh no doubt about it it's it's kind of like uh, looking at maybe uh, Adam Jones starting his career at Baltimore. It's kind of the same look that when you see him out there. So I think it's very positive. I I totally agree with you. I like the idea of Mullins at the top of that lineup along with VR if they're able to bring him back. Yep. Uh, because uh, I, I told Stan when they made that move, I said, 
that might, to me, be the biggest thing that the Orioles got out of all of those trades was the VR, the VR yeah. uh, part of it because he can he's play, a piece. He's you a know, piece. He can yeah. play second. He can play short. He'll give you some offense. And uh, I saw him play a lot uh, as when Milwaukee came into into D.C. to play the Nationals and really liked him for a few years. Yeah. Rich, uh, Rich Dubroff, who used to write for us, now running BaltimoreBaseball.com, is good friends, for like high school friends or, or even junior high school friends, with Keith Bodie, mm-hmm. the hitting coach down at Bowie. And Bodie, because VR has sort of a checkered reputation in the game, Bodie swears by him. He's known him and coached him when he was a kid. Uh, says he's a great kid, so uh, that's good enough for me. Well, he, he I, definitely, he definitely has a great batting eye when he's at the plate. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't swing at many bad pitches, and he makes things count. And uh, like you said, the versatility to play in the infield. Uh, he, there's, there's definitely a spot on that team for him. I just hope that he didn't show himself too well this year that some other people want him that we have to fight over him too. So. <laughs> I think we've got control over him, though. I think he's... Okay, well, then that, that, uh, yeah, that's really we, good. There's no reason if we have control over him yeah. that he's not on that team next year somewhere yeah. in the lineup. Yeah. I, I hope so. Well, now, and the other thing you have to do really is go out and get another shortstop because yeah. Tim Beckham is not a shortstop. No. Although, I've got to be honest, the last few games he's played, mm-hmm. I'm seeing him, uh, maybe Dickerson finally got got to him, but I'm seeing that glove Down right on the ground, on the ground yep. ready to, to move. If he has to come up, it's much easier to come up on a ball than it is to go down on a ball. Uh, I've liked that, but from what I hear, his number, like um, the, you know, the arbitration number or something, is going to be like, if you tender him, it's going to be like $5 million, and he's mm-hmm. not a $5 million player. For, for the Baltimore Orioles. Well, and again, some decisions that have to be yeah. made during the offseason. One other player that I think we've we've liked what we've seen, and it hasn't been an easy path for him, but uh, it, it's really got me watching D.J. Stewart play the last couple of days. And don't get me wrong, I'm not suddenly thinking he's the second coming of Bryce Harper or anything like that. But what what's really scra- has me scratching my head is Duquette acquires this guy – John Andrioli, right? Mm-hmm. Night, night, you know, nice kid, 4A player. You know, it's clear he's not a, a true major league player. He might be a fifth outfielder on a good team. But he sent, they sent D.J. Stewart home while they were looking at John Andrioli, and it took about until September 7th for them to say, oh, wait a minute, we've seen Andrioli. Let's bring in D.J. Stewart. I mean, he's a former number one pick. Why wouldn't he have been brought up way before John Entry? Well, and the, and the other thing about that too, Steve, is that if you look at Stort, just his body makeup, and he looks way, like Craig Heist. He looks like me, and I root for guys like that. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be a good spokesperson for Big Bat, right? Yeah. Yes. Come Let's on down. on in a burger on your lap. Right. Exactly. Anyway, I think we've liked that uh, pitching wise. Has have any of these guys the only one the the only two guys that have really piqued my interest this year that weren't really part of the major plans coming into this year were David Hess and I still see enough positives with Mike Wright despite his falling backwards again in August and early September I think he's got a chance to finish strong and be a part of this bullpen next year your thoughts steve 
I don't see I, I I've always I know Mike Wright either looks really good or looks bad, but he's definitely got all the tools and with the right direction, I think he can get better and he can be uh, a very good relief pitcher, maybe even a starter down the road, but definitely a long reliever, which he has been used this year. So I, I think he's somebody that should stay around with the right help. And Craig, what do you think of uh, of uh, David Hess? The oh, way, I, how he's I, I like back. him. Yeah, he's bounced back, and uh, I think that uh, he's he's obviously not going to blow you away with any kind of a big time fastball. But you know, he's got to throw strike one, command the fastball when he does throw it. But that'll set up everything else he throws. And if that happens, and and he he can you know have his control, he can be a very effective major league pitcher. Yeah. I'll I know tell one, you, go ahead, Steve. I know one thing that we haven't talked about, and I haven't heard you mention it in a while, is the uh, catcher's position. Yes. That's something that we really have to try to improve. It's it's very weak. It really is. It's because, I mean, number yeah. one, the, I think Caleb Joseph is a good defensive catcher and does a good job for being a backup catcher, but we need that that starting catcher that yep. does everything for that lineup, hitting and defense. All right. Well, listen, we appreciate it as always. We appreciate your friendship, your sponsorship, and uh, we'll uh, keep grabbing you when we can for the Big Bats uh, Bay Bridge traffic report. All and right? Not a problem. You guys just get over here a little bit after noon today, and we'll have those burgers, okay? <laughs> All right. Sounds good. We will Thanks do it. Guys. I promise we will do it one day. All hey, right? listen, you guys are welcome anytime, and, and the public out there – Best place in the world to stop. We just got voted best burgers in the area again this past week. I, I had a great uh, a great marketing slogan for your place uh, last week. I brought it up. I just said, Big Bats, come sit on a base. I like hey, that. That's not a bad idea. There you go. There you I, go. Like I like that. I like that. Of course, I'll have to get some more bar stools if we get a big <laughs> demand for that. Yeah, that's true. You wouldn't want to uh, unveil that, that, uh, yeah. that campaign and then be out of bases. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thanks. Really Have appreciate it. Have a great day, guys. Talk All to you right. later. Big bats. Bye bye. Very cool place. Big bats. Go down and sit on a base. There you go. All right. We're going to make our connection with Eddie Matz of ESPN momentarily. Always enjoy talking baseball with Steve Garland. He is a big baseball fan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we wish him well in his recovery. That's not easy. Yeah. And uh, he does a great job too. It's really funny. His son works in the administration of. Um, of Special Olympics Maryland, mm-hmm. and he does well, a lot with Special Olympics oh, I, Maryland. I'm one of best friend. I was best man in his wedding, Fred Grau, yeah. up in uh, Harford County. Uh, his son Danny uh, has been a participant in Special Olympics for years and years now. Right, and uh, they they had a trip uh, to Seattle, Washington this year for the uh, summer games, and uh, he's very involved in that. All right, joining us right now is somebody I can actually say is my cousin. Second cousin, and he's uh, and once out of the family, <laughs> and once out of the family very badly. Yes, uh, is uh, Eddie Matz uh, from ESPN and ESPN.com. Ed, how are you, my friend? Doing all right. You're doing all right. All right. You're here with Craig. That's a, that's Heist. a typical Eddie Matz that's response. Huh? He's doing Mr. all right, he's man. Mr. Cool. Sorry, he I'll, is. I'll try and be. I'll try and be someone else. Uh, <laughs> I am stupendous. Great. Superlative, never better. All right. There you go. Did you get to see your brother uh, yet? Uh, Kenny? I did. He's alive in the flesh. How's he doing? He is stupendous. Superlative, he's, he's never better. All right. Super. <laughs> super. Hey, uh, Ed, just wanted to get, you know, normally I don't like to beat the same uh, 
rug with each guest, but got to chat about the reports that are surfacing now that really shouldn't come as gigantic surprises, that it looks as if uh, all the signs are pointing to the Orioles parting company with Buck Showalter at the end of the year. Have you heard these reports and your thoughts on them? Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing what you're seeing, hearing what you're seeing, um, hearing what you're seeing, seeing what you're hearing. Yeah. Brain, wake up. Um, <laughs> not surprising. Yeah. I think you know, to me it's more, it'd be more surprising if that weren't the case. Uh, I just, I feel like, I mean, you, you, I don't think it's his fault that they are where they are, right? He's, he, for years he's done as much as he can with, <laughs> with what he's got, which no question has been about kind it. of a miracle when they've done what they've done. Uh, but I mean, I suppose you can make the argument that, yeah, you know, guys are a little tuned out now and like these games are uglier than they need to be despite all the, you know, the, the young guys that they have. And some of that is on the manager, but that's, I mean, where they are right now has nothing to, to do with him. Yep. Um, so, you know, you could argue that and that he deserves a chance to help him rebuild, but look, I mean, the rebuild is going to be, <laughs> Who knows how long the rebuild's going to take, right? And, uh, I mean, for all, if you're Buck, like, if you're Buck, you want to be there? Like, even if they wanted you to stay, would you want to stay? Like, I don't even know that I would want to stay. So, um, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not surprised by it. I think they need, in the same sense that they need fresh blood player-wise and, and front office-wise, they they could probably use some, some fresh blood there. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see who, you know, even when he is officially not the manager anymore, who comes in to replace him? Because he, he, it's funny. Like it's been what is it, eight years, nine years since he's he's been there. He's been there since two th- he's he's been there since like roughly July thirty first of two thousand ten. So yeah. he's been there. And so all of, all of a sudden you turn around and like bam, eight years. Like wow, where did that time go? Yep. And so he's you know, he's obviously not on level of like Earl Weaver as far as an Orioles institution is concerned. But eight years is a long time, especially in today's major league. No question about well, it. Let me ask. Uh, let me ask you this: uh, We we know in the reports about Buck being uh, relieved after the season is ending ended, uh, but then Dan, it looks like he's on his way to an extension now. In my opinion, I told Stan, I kind of feel like it should be both of them either stay or both of them either go. I don't think it should be one or the other. Yeah, the problem, the problem, I would agree with you. The issue with that, though, is they've gone through what you could argue is the beginning phases of the rebuild, right? Because they right. made all these trades and they raided some, some prospect closets and they brought in you know 15, 15 prospects through trades. And he's the guy that was engineering those. I mean, who knows how much input he was having as far as the, the players they were getting, but he was part of that process. So if you were going to make a change, if you were going to have a different front office guy, running the show, you would think that they would have brought that guy in before that. So it's almost like they he's the one who's started this, so you kind of have to let him you know, have to let him go through it, but it, it makes sense. I'm not shocked if, if he stays around. I, um, you know, I think the people there that are making the decisions now, and it's clearly more John and Lewis at this point in time are making the, the bigger decisions. They've been there, and they've watched Dan in action, and I know he's got some warts, but I, I've always argued that I know for a, I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but pretty darn close, that Dan Duquette, knowing how he values money and and the, the players that earn it, would never have signed Chris Davis to this contract on his own. He wouldn't have signed Mark Trumbo, 
and he sure as hell wouldn't have signed Darren O'Day. And that's an awful lot of the money that this team has tied up right now or did have tied up until they got rid of O'Day. And I just think there's an argument, if you've been watching him, that he hasn't had his hand raised, you know, making some of the, the bad decisions that the club has made. Yeah, and it's quite possible that if, you know, if they were to get rid of Ducat, then you say, all right, well, who's going to come in and replace him? Right. And anyone who's going to come in and replace him is not going to be someone who is like a blue chip front office prospect, so to speak, right? It's going to be someone who's kind of on the scrap heap or someone you're taking a big chance on. Yep. And in the same way that pitchers, I feel like pitchers don't want to come to Baltimore because of Camden Yards and it's going to kill their numbers, which is going to kill their earning power. You could, you could argue that with general managers, same kind of thing, even though we don't know how the young Angelo's family is going to run the team. It looks like they might do things a little bit differently, but given the history, if you're a front office guy and you look at what's been done and to your point about Duquette having his hands tied, you'd be like, well, shoot, I'm not going there. Like, I can't even make my own decisions. and They're going to get ridiculed for the decisions that aren't mine. So I think it's, it's probably a tough spot to fill, even if you wanted to fill it. We're talking with Eddie Matz of ESPN and ESPN.com. And, Eddie, uh, before I know Craig's got some more questions for you, I've got to ask you, do you see this? Uh, here's the one thing that, that I'm opening my eyes to, though. I, don't, I, I know the family well enough and their comfort level. I don't think any of them want to be the guy at the podium when big press conferences are held or anything like that. And there, therefore, I see Dan Duquette getting a boss, though. I don't see him being the be-all, end-all uh, person. I think this is a new manager and a new person above Dan. Uh, and I think I'm not sure Dan gets the free reign that he would like to have. And, and to, to Stan's point real quick, Ed, is that I was talking to somebody at Nats Park yesterday who was uh, informing me that Major League Baseball was not very happy with the Orioles. Right. There's some pressure at, at going this point on. Because they don't know who the point person is with the Orioles uh, and who, who they go to to talk to uh, about certain issues. And uh, I would say that has to get straightened out and rectified pretty that, quickly. That's one of the reasons yeah. behind what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, and it will. I mean, those things, when when there are, are changes like this that happen, I mean, look, even in Washington, the same thing's happening, right? Mark Lerner took over right. more or less for his father. That transition was relatively seamless, but when ownership groups change, whether it's a complete change or whether it's you know being handed down from one generation to the next generation, there's going to be some gaps. Uh, I think the, the good news is that they have the whole offseason to kind of figure this out, right? And so... If MLB is putting pressure on them, they're not just going to sit there and, and I mean, they want to be in MLB's good graces, I would think. If I'm MLB, I'm more pissed off that they're, that they're like, how bad they are, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. They went into the season tanking, but um, <laughs> I think eventually they'll get it straightened out. It's uncomfortable if you're an Orioles fan right now. You know, you hear these things, you read these stories, you see what's on the field. It's uncomfortable. You feel like you're drifting and you're floating and, and, yep. and it, it, it's, a, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. But eventually it will get sorted out, and it, honestly, it, it can't be much worse, if at all, than it was yeah. previously. So I yeah. think the future is bright. It's just a question of how how far away is that future. It's very interesting. You know, you clearly your lead dog has to be your team that's on the field. That that sets the tone of everything. 
but it's really ironic that the team has been so bad this year, and yet from a marketing perspective, I think the club is sort of leaps and bounds ahead of where they've been the last five or seven years. I think they're doing a lot of things right, uh, and I know each one is a small, uh, you know, a small uh, homage, but I thought the Braille uniforms to celebrate the, uh, you know, the uh, Association of the Blind that's uh, moving here to Baltimore uh, is is important. I think the Kids Cheer Free Zone is important. I just see a lot of positives uh, with how they're they're doing the business side of their business. Yeah, I agree. And these guys, that speaks to 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 John and Lou and, and the fact that they're, you know, they are a different generation. They're not like spring chickens. They're not like 33-year-olds, but yep. they're, they're going to they're gonna understand that more, and they know that they are in a position where they need to do things to keep people plugged in. But look, even before that, you know, the Orioles, I feel like, were the only team in baseball that was allowing people to bring in snacks, coolers, and yep. stuff like that. And I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that originated from the previous dry spell when they knew they had to do things to get people to come. So it's not like... This is foreign territory for them. They've been there before, and they know that they need to, to to make themselves more attractive to people who, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of choices in the market. Whether it's you know the Ravens or University of Maryland sports, or just you know going to see a movie, it's, you know you gotta you gotta make your decisions about how you're going to spend your money. Let me ask you something about uh, what we saw last night at Nats Park, which was Jacob Degrom uh, strike out eight, allowed only run run on three hits over his uh, stint. Uh, against the Nationals, he improves the nine and nine. And when you look at the twenty-three uh, consecutive uh, quality starts and the twenty-eight consecutive outings with three runs or less, is uh, and of course the one seven seven ERA. Is that going to be good enough uh, to earn him the Cy Young Award this year? Yeah, hundred percent. It's done. It's in the bag. The, uh, it's not official yet, but the engraver can definitely start practicing the lowercase d at the beginning of the last name. So wait a minute. Uh, so you're saying you think he does get the Cy Young yeah. Award? That's what. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Okay, percent. It is. It is in the bag. And I did a story in beginning middle of August. This is before Scherzer kind of leveled off a little bit. Degrom is kind of where he is now because he's been there all year. Nola was pitching well, and for it, I surveyed uh, a, a bunch of would be Cy Young voters, you know, baseball writers, association uh, people, which are the people that vote on these things. And at that point, it was almost a dead heat between Scherzer and DeGrom. And that was, like I said, this was when Max had like a 2.1 or 2.2 ERA. Now he's about, you know, was like 2.5 something, I think. 2.53, yeah. And meanwhile, DeGrom just keeps going out and doing what he's doing. Nola has leveled off. So at this point, it's I, I feel like I'm talking about I was talking to somebody, another voter, last night about this. Even if DeGrom goes out in his last start and gets nobody out and gives up like 12 earned runs and ends up with a, like a 2.8 ERA, I think he would still win it at this point because that's just one blip on otherwise remarkable season. So for me, all the voters I talked to, there was probably like one or two who said that wins matter a little to them, the, uh, every every one of the other people was like, it doesn't matter. Like it just, it's absolutely irrelevant. He could go one and nineteen, and if he had these same peripheral numbers, I would still vote for him. That drives me so, out of my mind when yeah. people say that wins don't matter. It's just because the people that play the game, the people that go out there and pitch in the games. They know wins matter. In fact, Jacob Degrom even said so last night in his post game press conference. 
Yeah, no, he, I talked to him, I talked to the ground for that story a couple months ago, and he told me, you know, I spent 15 minutes talking to him, and he said the same thing. He said, you know, when, I obviously want to win games because it's, I'm a pitcher, and if you're staying in the game and long enough to, to get the win, you're giving the, your, your team a chance to win. But at the same time, he, he has no control over the ridiculous weirdness that is the reason that he's only 9-9. Nine and nine. You know, like the bullpen has, has blown leads, the team hasn't scored for him. That has nothing to do with his pitching performance. Absolutely nothing. Well then, well then, how do you explain then that Scherzer was shut out four times this year? There have been a handful of games with one and two run uh, of support for him, and yet he still has seventeen wins when he should probably have about twenty three or twenty four to this point. You know it, you've seen it, and it's kind of the year he's had. Yeah, well, you explain it, but that, but these are all. I mean, so every situation is different. So right. So so if 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 that doesn't happen for Scherzer, maybe he has more wins. And if it doesn't happen for the ground, he has more wins. It doesn't, like, all those other numbers tell you exactly how good the pitcher has been. The other stuff is pure chance, really. I mean, But, but, only, but Eddie, let me, just, let me just jump in. What about all the other, what, what is taking away from the peripheral numbers, such as Whip, where he's lower than DeGrom, or at least he was Thursday night? Um, uh, strikeouts, he's number one. I mean, it's not as if it's a slam dunk that DeGrom wins on all the peripheral numbers. Don't those numbers matter, too, strikeouts and whip? 100%. So it's not, it's not a slam dunk. I'm oversimplifying it, but I just can't imagine. So if I had to guess, I would, at this point, I would guess DeGrom's going to win, and he's going to win with, like, 75% of... All right, that's well, interesting. It's interesting, but I will say this then about the voters who vote for this kind of thing. Uh, I can start to lump these guys right in with some of the Hall of Fame voters right now. Well, I, I think what we're talking about in a certain sense, and I'm not trying to say, hey, young whippersnappers or right. anything like that, but I'm 66. Ed, how old are you, 43? I'm 47. So, 40, 47. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, yeah. and, and I'm imagining most of that... And I'm not saying that every person over 55 is an old fuddy-duddy about statistics and analytics, but I'm saying it probably breaks down then that there's a lot more younger voters now taking part in this. For sure, and it doesn't yeah. skew that way. The guys who talked about wins mattering a little bit with the older guys. But look, so two months ago was very different. Right today, or six weeks ago, today the only number that Scherzer has a significant advantage in over DeGrom yeah. is strikeouts. Every other number, yeah. is either including innings pitched, including whip, you know, all of them are either equivalent or Degrom has a lead, and that ERA lead is so big yeah. at this point that it's just—I mean, like we could this, this, this discussion goes round and round and round, and we could sit here and discuss it for another hour. We would still never come to resolution because everyone feels differently about it. Well, I know, um, I know the one thing about Scherzer this year, maybe more so this year than any other year in the past, is that. When the Nationals, who have basically, other than the month of May, hovered around that 500 mark, either a game or two or three below or a game or two or three above it, every time there was a losing streak that Scherzer was pitching after that losing streak, uh, it got rectified and the Nationals won that game. Uh, that, to me, says something as well. Let me just throw one last argument, Ed, uh, at you. I've always thought of the Cy Young Award winner as the pitching equivalent to the most valuable player. In other words, the most valuable pitcher. 
if DeGrom wins nine games and the Mets have won about 61 or 62, something like that, and the Nats have won, what, 75, 76, and Scherzer wins 17, where would the Nats be without Scherzer? Wouldn't they be further down the creek than the Mets without DeGrom? So this is what war does. Yeah. Right? So whether you like war or not, and war, war is an inexact science when you yep. love replacement. It's especially inexact when it comes to pitchers. Yeah. But this accounts for all those variables and tells you how much the pitcher adds to the team. So so what's a DeGrom's, DeGrom's war versus Scherzer? DeGrom's war right now is 8.3, which is obviously top among pitchers. Okay. Second is Scherzer at 6.8. It's not even close. Okay. Like that, that's a huge difference. He's 1.5. Uh-huh. So he's about 25% above Scherzer's number in value. I'm not going to compare pitcher war to player war. Like, we could look at that and go to ground leads the entire National League in war, so he should be the MVP. I'm not going to do that because I think, like I said, pitcher war is inexact. But the fact that he's that far above, that's the only, when you look at value to the team, if you're making that argument, <laughs> it's not even close. Like, the ground's war is, like I said, about 25% higher than Scherzer's. All right. Well, my producer's going to create war on me if we don't take a break. Ed Matz of ESPN.com, thanks very much. You argued your case pretty well. I got to hand it to you. Thanks, and I'll talk to you soon, Ed. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right. And I would say DeGrom argued his case last night as well. (laughs) I would say so, too, as well. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where we have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Enjoy $5.99 burgers on Mondays. $5.99 nachos on Thursdays, and drink specials throughout the season to help you cheer on your favorite teams. Come in today and try something new from their seasonal menu. Glory Days Grill, great food and great sports. They're also the sponsor of Project Game Day. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A One online or through your app and while i've got your attention please remember chick-fil-a catering it's a real live crowd pleaser in fact order twice as much as you think you'll need trust me go see steve at chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard tell him i sent you if you need help downloading your app don't ask steve but he'll know someone who can help chick-fil-a one get food earn more free food respect it's more than a word in the u.s army reserve it is a core value A value that brings together a variety of people from across the nation to answer the call to serve. Serving part-time in the U.S. Army Reserve means earning the respect of your community and your nation, all while pursuing your career and educational goals and staying close to home. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $20,000 in bonuses when you join. To see if you qualify, visit GoArmy.com slash reserve or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. 
It's Jerry Chevrolet's 2018 model year-end clearance event with unbelievable savings on many new Chevys. New Chevy Cruises and Malibus priced up to 30% off MSRP. New Chevy Equinox and Silverado trucks priced up to 25% off. Jerry Chevrolet has so much inventory to choose from, you may take home two. Visit Jerry Chevrolet at the corner of Joppa Road and Pairing Parkway and online at jerrychevrolet.com. All prices plus tax, tags, and freight. Sale ends September 30th. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Eck looks at Raven superstar Terrell Suggs and how he still sizzles now in his 16th season in Baltimore. Plus, Simon Hathamarium introduces you to the newest Flacco on the Baltimore sports scene. That's Towson Tigers quarterback Tom Flacco. And Bo Smolka profiles new Ravens receiver John Brown. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition and the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Before we get to our next guest, Mel Anton, and I've got to talk to you a little bit about Ken Island's original sports bar, and that is Big Bats. We had the owner on in the first segment of the show. They're located at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland, on the way down or back to and from the eastern shore. There's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, Nats, Wizards, Caps, University of Maryland, and a whole host of NFL games. And you can sample some of the best bar grub around, sandwiches, salads, soups, or subs. Why not go to Big Bats and sit on a base? Correct? That's right. Exactly right. Because all of the bar stools are, are shaped in the form of no, bases. They're not shaped. They're actually they are bases. They actually they are, are yeah. bases. All right. Speaking of bases... Uh, somebody who has a great basis over at Masson. And he covers them all. And the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, uh, Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, is my friend Mel Anton. And Mel, how are you on this lovely Saturday? Yeah, I'm doing very well. It's perfect fall weather right now, and so how can you complain? All right. By the way, thanks for making me feel so comfortable in my first uh, appearance on uh, the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Well, you did a great job. It was great to have you on, and uh, we look forward to doing it more. All right. Let's hope so. From your lips to God's ears. Uh, Mel, I hate to always ask the same first question of everybody we have on a given show, but uh, the story that's you know starting to smoke around the Baltimore Orioles is the report surfaced uh, yesterday, and nothing's been said to refute them, is that... Uh, uh, these, this next week is going to be Buck Showalter's last week as Orioles skipper. Your thoughts on what you're hearing and what what credence you give to it right now? 
I, I trust Bob Nightingale of USA Today. I trust his sources. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, I think there's, 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 uh, there's a case that it's time to change, time to change managers. Buck has done a great job. He's brought some, te- you know, he's brought the Orioles to the playoffs. All those times, lots of success for Baltimore. But sometimes you just need a new voice, a new direction. And now that the rebuilding has started. It might be the best thing, and who knows? Maybe Buck Showalter is a little bit like John Gibbons of the Toronto Blue Jays. He knows what's ahead for the club, and maybe he feels like he doesn't want to be involved in a rebuilding process either. I mean, it's. I think, I think if Buck did stay, it's a long-term commitment that he may or may not want to make. But uh, you know, sometimes you just have to change managers and and start fresh, develop new credibility, and I I don't think it's the end of the world for Buck, and I think it's a good move for the Orioles. That said, why would uh, both of them not be gone as opposed to just Buck being gone? And I I understand that Dan made the moves at the the trade deadline. So, you know, the the big question before all that happened was, well, what's Dan's future, and are you going to let him make these kind of moves to start this rebuild? Yeah. Well, I think Dan did a good job at the trade deadline. A lot of people, you know, he got a lot of rave reviews for uh, uh, for the trades he made. Fifteen players, fifteen new players into the system. The farm system has gotten better. So I think there's more. I think it's. I I think if you were going to change general managers, it would have been good to do it earlier. But at the at the start of the off season, you need a general manager. You need stability in place. And it's not always easy to find a general manager. Last time around, uh, you know, the Orioles struggled before they got to they, – they looked at a lot of different candidates before they got to Dan Duquette. And my guess is they just looked at the market for general managers and said, it's hard to believe we could do better than Dan Duquette. But managers are a little bit easier to hire. You know, one of the things we've also been hearing smoking around – I'm using that smoke analogy where there's smoke, there's fire – is that MLB.com, uh, MLB, not dot .com, MLB has had some serious concerns about really who is running the ship with the Orioles. I'm wondering, though, if this is a finished business where it's just Dan and then the manager. I see Dan getting a boss, someone who is sort of president of the ball club or if you want to call him president of baseball operations. Yeah. I think somebody is in between management and Dan? Yeah, uh, well, I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I don't understand the basis for that story. There's nobody really coming out and and talking on the record. And so, to me, it's kind of a flimsy story at best. That was the question before the trade deadline. Who's running the show? Who's making the trade? And it was Dan Duquette all the way. I mean, he might have been getting help from Brady. He might have gotten help from various scouts and other executives. But Dan Duquette was making the decisions. So I don't really know what that story means, what it stands for, who's talking about it, and why it's important. I think that the Orioles, you know, I I just don't know how to answer those questions because I don't see the relevance to the story. Do you see, though, as an organization moving forward, when you think of, uh, you know, how the Washington Nationals handle things, how the Orioles used to handle things in the old days, do you see Dan as being the guy that ownership will be comfortable? I'm not talking necessarily about making the moves and the trades and signing the contracts. Do you see them comfortable with him as being sort of the face of the organization? And that's kind of more where I'm going with this. 
that they I might want so. somebody that that just has a little bit more gravitas to them. Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, you know if if you're looking for a figurehead, I guess I, I understand what you're saying. But Dan Duquette has has a good scouting background. He's got a lot of experience in contract negotiations, mm-hmm. and he knows how to run a baseball team. He has rebuilt this team, and now he's got to rebuild it again. I think he's got a lot of credibility on a lot of fronts. And I think that he would have been gone by now if management and ownership had not um, had not been comfortable with him. But the fact that he made all these trades and has established uh, a program or established a, a route to rebuilding, it seems kind of silly to um, to change general managers at this point. They're honest now. I don't know, but it seems like Dan has developed a good foundation and. As far as credibility and knowing how to build teams and scout teams and negotiate contracts, uh, he's, he's doing a good job. What do you make of the news? And I'm, I'm guessing you heard about it, you guys, before the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report yesterday, that the Orioles had signed a couple scouts, new scouts, including Bobby Witt, the ex-pitcher's brother, Doug <laughs> Witt, who is Bobby Witt Jr.'s uncle, uh, who may end up being the number one draft pick of the Baltimore Orioles, and if he's not the number one pick of the Orioles, he'll probably be the number two pick by Kansas City. What did you make of that yesterday? Well, you know, the Orioles are in the driver's seat, obviously. They'll get the number one pick. And will it help to have a family relative involved? It might. It might help in negotiations. Maybe they're not – maybe they're trying to leave no stone unturned in this situation. But I would assume that if – I would assume that if the Orioles take that take Bobby Witt Jr., that he he would be willing to come, whether his family members are in the organization or not. But you know, cause it gives him a chance to play. He's going to get plenty of money, and he's he's on a team that's got a chance to rebuild it and and create something, and that that's attractive to a young to a young player trying to get trying to get into pro ball. Mel, let me ask you something about the Nationals. The elimination number uh, for the division went by the wayside last night uh, with their loss to the Mets and then the Braves uh, winning their game over the Phillies. Uh, uh, from a wild card standpoint, I think the elimination number so today two, is one. one yeah. uh, so no playoffs for the Nationals this year, but some very interesting things to, to come up in the offseason. A few weeks ago, we had Mike Rizzo on the warning track out in front of the dugout. And he was asked about Davey Martinez and, and if there would be a change there. And uh, basically Rizzo poo-pooed that and said, no, that's not even in the offering or in the thinking. Uh, and the other thing, too, is Bryce Harper. Uh, and, and if the Nationals have a, a legitimate chance uh, to re-sign him and bring him back to this club. I think there is a legitimate chance to sign Bryce Harper. But I also think that there and as important as he is to the franchise, as he is the face of the franchise in a lot of ways, I understand from that standpoint that it's important to sign Bryce Harper. But you can also make a case that the Nats need so many other things. They need a, they need a, they need a couple of pitchers. They need to sign Rendon and Turner long term. Um, they need a catcher. Uh, I think you can make another case that it's not smart. It's not a good idea to put all your money in the Bryce Harper basket when you could use that money to build the pitching staff and, right. and sign Rendon yep. and sign Turner. So I think it's going to be an interesting offseason. I don't know which way they're going to go. This is going to be an incredible speculation. One day I think he's going to stay. Another day I don't think he's going to stay. I have no idea. And as far as Davey Martinez goes, 
what else could Mike Rizzo say at that point? Uh, he, he couldn't say that we're considering changing managers. So that, too, I think is a little bit unsettled. But I think for the stability of the organization and the fact that the Nationals have played so well and come back in so many September games when they've been behind and showed some grit, I think that's a credit to Davey Martinez. I think he's learned from his first-half mistakes on how to handle the bullpen. So I think for the sake of stability, I think Dave Martinez, there's a good case that he's going to stay. On the other hand, they didn't win, and they fired last year. Man, they, got, they, they didn't resign a manager last year that won two division titles. So I think it's a story ongoing. I just don't think what Mike Rizzo said a couple weeks ago, I don't think, you know, I, I don't know what else he could have said at that point. We're talking with Mel Antonin of Masson, and he's also a regular on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Mel, the other day we were on, uh, and I was asked a question by Rob Long regarding uh, what's changed with the Nats pitching in 2018 versus 17 and before that, and I alluded to uh, Mike Maddox not being there anymore. Dave Johnson kind of poo-pooed that. Um, your thoughts on the loss of Maddox versus the hiring of Derek Lilliquist. And we've also had two poo-poos come out of this conversation. I want you to know that. <laughs> What's the other poo-poo? I don't remember the first poo-poo. I said that. Oh, I said, you yeah, did. That's right. All right. Well, it's a lot of poo-poo going. Well, that's one thing you can say about this show. There's a lot of poo-poo going around all that's the right. time. <laughs> well, I think you can blame the pitching coach if there was a bunch of young pitchers learning. Mm -hmm. I think a pitching pitching coach has more responsibility and has to take more responsibility if it's young pitching. It's pretty hard to say that Derek Lilliquist, whether he's a good pitching coach or not, and that's that's open for debate. Uh, It's hard to believe that you can blame Derek Lilliquist on this because Scherzer, Scherzer, Strasburg was out for a couple of months. Warwick had the worst slump of his career since he's been in Washington. Yeah, Geo took a step back. Um, experienced pitchers just not having good seasons. And then you fill out the rotation with guys like Jeremy Hellickson and Tommy Malone and, and Rodriguez. I mean, there was a lot of questions in the rotation beyond uh, Max Scherzer, and I just don't think it was the pitching coach's fault. I think you can lay it on his feet because – because those guys have too much experience. Again, I think it's a different story. If it's a bunch of young pitchers that aren't growing, then I think pitching coach has more responsibility. So is that a poo-poo or not? I don't know. That's a third poo-poo. There you go. <laughs> hey, before we let you go, uh, I wanted to get both your take and Craig's take on this. You know, I found the Daniel Murphy to the Cubs trade three weeks ago very interesting because I was like, wait a minute, don't they have a regular second baseman and a regular shortstop? With the, with what came out yesterday and the administrative leave situation that Addison Russell's in, which I think is going to exist through the playoffs, I don't think he's going to play again this year. Uh, the Cubs really made quite a, a like a brilliant move getting Daniel Murphy for the uh, you know for the postseason, didn't they? Yeah, they needed run production in the lineup, and. Addison Russell was their weak link. I mean, despite the personal problems and the fact that he's on leave now, the alleged personal problems, yeah. he's on leave now. But the, the, the original plan, whether the Cubs knew about Addison Russell's problems coming up or not, I don't know. But the original plan was to trade for Murphy, put him in second, and move Baez, who's an NL MVP okay. candidate, to short. So I don't know if they had any inkling of what was going on with Addison Russell. I do know that they 
they weren't happy with how he was hitting and they needed run production. And Murphy was available for virtually nothing. It made a lot of good sense for the Cubs. Yeah, I think, it was, a, I think it was a brilliant stroke. Well, well Murphy, Murphy hits the home run last night against the White Sox. is pretty big uh, in that game. But let me ask you this. When it comes down to Baez or maybe Christian Yelich, who do you think wins that NL MVP? I don't know. I think Christian Yelich is the favorite right now. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I think because he's been so good, but Baez is Baez is kind of a, a National League version of Jose Altuve in a lot of ways. Yep. His versatility, stolen bases, home runs, high average on base, all that type of stuff. It's really comparing two A plus students. But you also have to look at uh, Freddie Freeman of uh, the Braves. I think he's a legitimate candidate. I think Nolan Arenado, third baseman from the Rockies, has kind of fallen off the map. He's not had a good September. So I think I think it comes down to Baez and Yelich, and Freeman would be my top three candidates at this point. All right. You're going to be at Dodger Stadium tonight for Manny Machado bobblehead? <laughs> first 40,000 40, fans get one. Yeah, I mean, that'd be kind of fun. The bobbleheads are cool, so but I'm not going to be there to answer. But All right, don't have time to get there. If you told me this morning or last <laughs> night, I could have caught a. We we need a Mel. I don't. Have, I can't just get on a flight and go. We, we, we need a Mel Antonin bobblehead. Yes, no indeed. That's that. what we need. <laughs> well, that'd probably be the end of the bobblehead promotions if you say something like that. <laughs> we'll get that'd the be Mel. the bottom of the barrel. That'd be the last thing anybody would want. And we'll get the Craig Heist poo-poo bobblehead. That's, there you go. That's a new, <laughs> yeah, new version of it. Yeah, press the button and go, poo-poo. All right. <laughs> that one will just shake a little more, Mel. That's all. <laughs> Mel, thank, thanks for coming on. I'll see you, when, I'll see you this Wednesday. For an early right. an early edition of uh, Mid Atlantic Sports Report. Thank uh, you, Mel. Yeah, we'll have some fun. All, All right, right, guys. Good. Always good. To All right. You guys. Thank you. Thank you very All much. Right. Love me some Mel Antonin. Good. Good people. Uh, we're going to make our connection now with Lee Lowenfish. Uh, Lee Lowenfish, a former professor of mine at UMBC back when I was like 18, 19 years old. He mm-hmm. remembers me as a young, virulent man. And now knows me as what I am. Okay. Uh, and elderly, uh, aging, aging gracefully. Yes. Would you say I'm aging gracefully? Uh, let's get Lee on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Lee Lowenfish has written uh, several books on baseball. Uh, most importantly, The Imperfect Diamond, The Art of Pitching with Tom Seaver. He wrote um, uh, uh, the, the piece on Branch Rickey, um, the, the uh, biography of Branch Rickey. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll get him right here, Lee. Lee Lowenfish, how are you? How are you? You're, I'm fine, and you're here with uh, Mr. Craig Heist. How are you, Lee? I, I'm I'm sitting here on a kind of lovely afternoon in the Bronx Botanical Garden. I have a tradition doing outdoor calls with you guys. Two years ago, I was in Buffalo going on my way to Chautauqua. So I, I hope there's not any. Uh, uh, planes or sirens but it's kind of lovely to be with you here in the open air well as long as we don't as long as we don't get you up at niagara falls where you slowly you turn that's right step by step inch Inch by by inch inch. all right lee lowenfish is our guest right now lee um your take and we've asked every guest we've had on today about their take on the rumors i mean they're more than rumors the reports of uh Buck Showalter's um, demise uh, with the uh, as manager of the Baltimore Orioles probably at the end of the season. Well, um, I, I don't know how many people could could have survived this season 
the losses. I mean, yeah. I I feel bad for him. I mean, uh, but you know, so many people have compared him to Gene Mark, and uh, uh, but it was early in Gene Mark's career, I believe, that he went through that awful year in '61 with the Phillies. Now, Buck's career seems to be ending with this. I know he doesn't want to end it this way, but yep. I mean, I if I had faith that the ownership really knew what they were doing. I wouldn't mind the whole cleaning house, including including Duquette, you know, but I don't have faith in the ownership, and uh, I don't have faith that they got great uh, players in the, in the fire sales they had, but, but I'm happy that DJ Stewart is, is showing that he wasn't a horrible pick, maybe not a number one pick, but right. the, the guy looks like he, he deserves a, a real shot, you know, and so... Uh, you can't follow baseball being negative all the time. That's one thing I feel as, as deep in my in my marrow. So you know, in the long view, even the short view, our future doesn't look too good. But but uh, it, it, it's necessary to make uh, some changes. And I, I thank Buck for his service. I'm sad that now, as a result of this year. Uh, he's got a losing record in Baltimore by le- by le- by eleven games because yep. he meant so much to this team. But sadly, it's kind of that's his history. You know, he leads teams to the promised land, but not, not actually into them. Yep, there have been others like that. Hey, I'm looking and Gene Mock's an apt comparison, I think, with Buck. And you're absolutely right. Gene was probably about thirty eight years old, thirty nine in 1961 when he had that horrible season with the Phillies. And then we, of course, know about the collapse in 64, which was uh, unthinkable going into the last 10 days of that season. But I'm I'm looking for a comparison. You know, D.J. Stewart had a kind of checkered minor league um, buildup to what, come and we're not yet ready to say that he's a you know a solid major league player but can you think of any players that weren't stars in the minor leagues that got to the major leagues and being in the show actually brought something more out of them well i think mattingly didn't exactly tear up the minor leagues and if you want another comparison in terms of having to switch his style. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Ripken changed a lot of his batting style, which changed it actually during his great career. Mm-hmm. Stewart, you know, a lot of people didn't think he was a number one pick because he batted out of that crouch. Right. And, 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 but they decided uh, that that was him. And then, you know, it's the old cliche, but it, like most cliches, they're true. Until he asked for help, they weren't going to do anything. And, and uh, as I, I said in the email to you, I, he could be one of those players who's going to be better in the majors than he was than he was in the minors. So. I knew there was somebody smart that said that to me before I came <laughs> up with the idea. I forgot it was. I forgot it was you. <laughs> We're talking with Lee Lowenfish. Uh, Lee, um, you're working currently on a book, and I know it's probably. Did you tell me it's not out for about another year, right? Uh, well, it'll be probably more than more like two because the university press is slow in getting it out. Okay, but you know, you I want to glad I have an opportunity to to give a tip of the cap to Jim Henneman's piece in Press Box Online, your print edition about 
the scouts that signed Bumbry uh, mm-hmm. uh, and Dick Mullins, Galatic Bowie, yeah, Bowie and 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 Mullins, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, and the more I dig into the story, which really needs to be told, the great scouts were not just scouts; they were coaches, yeah, they were teachers, uh, and uh, the the, the Henneman stories about Bowie's. Uh, uh, working with Bumpery, who was more of a basketball player than a baseball, but he ran these leagues. That uh, there's no substitute for playing games. And and I, this is the story of scouts. The late George Genovese was another great scout who passed away, uh, and was one of many brothers. I mean, he he ran leagues in California, and all the great ones, you know, care about because they know how hard it is to play this game. And and uh, one of the reasons I'm so excited about writing about these people is they're they're dying breeds. I yep. mean, so many organizations now literally think you can scout with video, and uh, uh, and the hands-on people are, are fading away. And and I think it affects the quality of the game, and uh, for for sure. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, is the book still got the working title, Endangered Species? Well, yeah, that, that that's used in a lot of different businesses today. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, not just baseball, but it is it is so true. Uh, it's uh, and uh, too many of the veterans have have been have been laid off. But again, there is no. Uh, David Johnson used to say this: "You you can't win pennants without grinders, without right. grinders." You know, and part of the problems the Yankees are having that one of their grinders is getting older, uh, uh, a gardener, and he's even losing time to McCutcheon. And uh, you, you can't, I mean, when the Mets had uh, their one great championship team under uh, under Johnson, you know, they had Dykstra and Backman, you know. And uh, so I, it, you you, you got to have them. And, uh, but this a- emphasis on, on home runs and, and strikeouts and walks, is ludicrous, but you know that's what we got to cope with. I mean, uh, and and I guess if Duquette is staying, at least when they're not hiring someone who's thirty years old out of the Harvard Business School, right? You know? Right. You know? uh, I mean, the yeah. the reason I asked you that got went down the road of the scouting was: Were you aware yesterday the Orioles announced the addition of a couple scouts? One yeah, of them, I saw that. It, Bob, it, one of them is Bobby Witt's uh, brother, brother, Doug. Doug Witt. First of all, I was wondering if you'd heard of him before, knew whether he was considered a good scout or not, and whether you think that's a clear-cut signal that the Orioles intend to draft his nephew, well, you Bobby know, Witt so, Jr. He, yeah. You know, the, the key to successful organizations is those who scout their own scouts. And, you know, when the Orioles went, the, the team that I fell in love with, in the late sixties, and that was, had really been established with Paul Richards in the late in the fifties, and that you know ran through the early eighties until uh, Edward Banner Williams wrecked it. Where the, these scouts were, they were all over the country. The Eastern scouts, like Tom Giordano, had had as much say as the California scouts, but they had great scouts in the Midwest, the the, the South, and uh, one of them who I hope is going to stick around with the Orioles is Joe McElvain, you know, who yeah. was a big part of the Mets. In fact, Joe told me that when the, when the Mets were scouting Dwight Gooden, the, the first round, uh, and Gooden came in the first round, you know, Sean Dunstan was picked first out of Brooklyn. 
you know what the choice was in the in the men hierarchy when it came to picking Gooden? You mean it was like, Sam Horn? Wow! They were kicking around Sam Horn, Versus who had like monster the... power and was basically a man at the age of eighteen. Right. And Gooden, who had the the incredible ceiling, and they made the right choice. Although McIlvain said something very profound too about the the problem with Gooden. One of the tragedies is. He sailed through the minors, and he never had any problems in the minors. So when he had the problems that were in the majors, and then, you know, he didn't have the discipline off the field, and, and so what should have been a Hall of Fame career, you know, did, did not become that. We're talking with Lee Lowenfish, and uh, Lee Lowenfish, author of how many books now? Nine books on baseball? Well, yeah. To be fair, you know, four. I mean, I mean there's... There are three editions of the Imperfect Diamond, the, the, uh, and I must say, everything I, I've shied away from doing a fourth edition. But right. that next negotiation is going to be really, really uh, it's, something. It's and going to be it, fascinating, yeah. And and you know, I for one, you know, wouldn't write off Adam Jones yet as an Oriole. I know? would not either. I mean, and 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 for baseball reasons. I mean, I think he's working hard at becoming a good right fielder. There was a game, I think, in Tampa where he almost made a great catch in the uh, uh, in foul territory. And, you know, he made a good throw to, to get somebody out at home against uh, Toronto in one of those games, the one game we won. Yeah, on Wednesday but, night. But, you know, so we'll see. I mean, uh, this has been a perfect storm this year. I mean, every, I mean, Hayes got hurt. I saw Hayes in rehab in Brooklyn. Right. And, and it, it, you know, the thing with Hayes is that he hustles everything. You know, wh- you know whether it's over-hustle, I don't know. But the, the main thing, like I saw him run to second base on a foul ball that landed back of the first base stands. I mean, that, that gets a, a, a TV clip. But, you know, but the, the thing is, the kid wants to play, and, and he's got tools. We've got to get him healthy. And the other thing I hope they're doing um, is is they're working with the Yasniel Diaz about his uh, uh, his coming to the United States. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, the Cubans have a tremendous mixed bag. You know, and yep. how they deal with America, and I can't blame them. I mean, you know, I've been to Cuba, and I love the country, and I love the people. The government is another story. You know, sounds so, sounds like an interesting chapter in a book about scouting. Is how yeah. you how you fix that that issue. There's no question yeah. about it. Yes. Lee, yes. Lee Lowenfish is our guest. Uh, Lee, um, the the book you wrote a couple of years back on Branch Rickey, uh, baseball's ferocious gentleman. Uh, why was he such an intriguing figure to you? Well, he. I've always been interested from my years in grad school, Wisconsin, in the 60s, about Americans who were kind of radical around World War One, who became very conservative after World War Two. You know, Ricky didn't fit that exactly because he was always conservative. In fact, my alternative title for the book was a conservative revolutionary. You know, he, he was against players' unions. He was against a lot of modern unions. But he was an innovator. And and he saw so much in life in baseball, and and, and it really it, it that that was the great appeal, and I got to know his family, who were a fascinating bunch of people. Uh, one of the granddaughters was in Annie Hall. I think I mentioned this on the show. The other girl, friend of Woody Allen, at the end of the film, 
and and you know the other the grandson Grant Ricky the third Barrett Grant Barrett Ricky's the head of the Pacific Coast League now. It's a fascinating family, a Midwestern family, where, where I think so much of the roots of America and its best came. So it fits so many uh, uh, of my interests. And and uh, even before I wrote about Branch Rickey, I I I had that feeling that if you're going to play this game, you have to have some kind of optimist. And uh, because uh, we watch it, because every day that you see something different. Like, I mean, I could have told you, you know, in July or June that the, that the, the, uh, the Nats were not going anywhere because I saw them win a game in New York, but they made five outs on the bases in the second and third inning. So, <laughs> you know, it, it is, to, to Ricky, it was kind of a, mor- yeah. a, a morality play. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but, I mean, you do see things about character. Uh, and athleticism any time you see a game. And that, so all this stuff combined, you know, for me to, to get undertake that project. Lee, it's not a, it, it's not a firm set rule when, when a team decides that they're going to do what the Orioles are doing in rebuilding. But when you look at it from the standpoint of what they've done from the, you know, trade deadline to now, and then look into the future, and regardless whether Buck is here or not, or even whether Dan is here or not, but it sounds like he's going to be here. How long do you think the rebuild will last to the point where this becomes a competitive team? And the reason I ask is because you've seen it a few times where teams have got off a one year and then turn around and have good years the next year. Well, you know, the great example of that, was 1988 with yeah, the well, yeah, with the why not year, yeah. You, you know the the thing is, um, well, to me, they've got to settle on the defense, mm-hmm. and and I I don't know who pushed for for Beckham, but please, I mean, if you're going to have Villar, you can't have Big Beckham and Villar. It brings so much more to the table, yeah. but he's very erratic too. But and and you know this, uh, it's hard to be, it's hard to be very optimistic and. But they got to straighten out the pitching and the defense. And you know, one of the sad, what's sad for Showalter to leave on this note is that the pitching and defense fell apart this year. It was yeah. beginning to fall apart last year. And and you know, there's something about his inability to get through to pitchers. I mean, Arietta is one great example, and I'm afraid it looks like Gaussman is another. You know, and we we've got to do something about that. And of course, that is. That's the hard, the hard thing. So well, I, 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 I'm not trying to dodge your question. I just think it's gonna. We can't live '88 over again because there were no Nats in '88. You know, we right. we were the regional franchise. And, you know? and this is this is worse than '88 this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, you I know, know. I always allude back to when we talk about pitching. Listen, when a new manager comes in, he's got the right to pick his his guy. You mm-hmm. know, and. I allude to the point where Buck Showalter decided to cut ties with Rick Kranitz, who I think was making some headway with the young pitchers like Arietta and Tillman at that time. And he ended up opting to go with, um, what's his name, Connor. Uh, uh, well, briefly. Yeah. No, no, but he but he he hired his friend who had been a good coach. What's his first name? Uh, Mark Connor. Mark Connor. Yeah. You know, he's still in a, uh, he's a with consult- Texas. He consults right. with Texas. Right, but he brought him in, 
And then six weeks into his stay as the manager, we ended up with the guy that he had selected as his bullpen coach, as the pitching coach. And that was where that problem, uh, again, I wonder what it would have been like if Buck had just kept Rick Kranitz. I think we would have never traded Arietta, and I think we would have had some more development in this pitching staff. Well, Kranitz is with Milwaukee now, right? No, Kranitz is with the Phillies. With the He's Phillies. Pitching and, well, coach. you know, they, they've gone belly up, too. I mean, yeah. you see, this is why it's so, it's so fascinating. Uh, and, 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 and not, there's got to be some luck, but there's got to be an atmosphere where, you, you know, you think today you can turn it around. Yeah. And obviously, this didn't happen. I mean, the stories I've heard about, you know, McDowell coming in and McDowell telling, you know, this is all hearsay, but when you look back, and, you know, that we're, we're, we're going to finish last in all ERA. This is, he said, before the season started, right. you know. Right. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's so, uh, it, it, it's so hard. And I, and I, I just got to wonder with, if, if how much more Duquette knows about pitching. Not many people know about pitching. I well, mean, I mean, look at Hunter Harvey. I, now here, you know, I mean, here that um, it's it, it, it's it's so it's so difficult. You know, uh, listen, I point I point as one of the real moments where I came to terms with the fact that there were the Orioles were broken was about fourteen, fifteen, sixteen months ago. I was having a conversation with Rick Peterson off the air, and. You know, Dan Duquette loved Rick Peterson. Buck Showalter thought he was a, an idiot, you know, and yeah. thought, thought that none of what he believed was really important or anything like that. Well, when you have the guy that's supposed to be your minor league pitching coach that's supposed to teach the polit- pitching philosophy throughout your organization and the manager doesn't think he's very good, that's a real that's a seismic problem within your organization. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a problem. But I ran across an old tweet of yours, and I'm, I don't t- tweet very much. Right. But you were talking about the beginning of the end was when we let Marquez Cruz and, and Andrew Miller get away. Yeah. Especially Marquez, because I mean, I mean, they're all important, man. You know, Miller's breaking down now too, as pitchers do. Right. And uh, but you know, Marquez wanted to stay. You know, yep. and. And and Duke, and I, I guess and we're all guessing on this and and to me as we think out loud and it's so important to to think out loud about these things we've got to fix the defense first you know we've got to dis- I mean I'm an up the middle kind of guy I'm you know, in total agreement know? I mean JJ Hardy's JJ Hardy's demise and loss was yeah. just incalculably oh, yeah. big for this team. The uh, the only qu- question I have about Mullins, the little bit I've seen him, is I'm not sure he's got the great arm, you know. Well, but Al, that's, Al that's, where, they, the short, that's yeah. where the shortstop and second base can come in. You know, what I think, the great Oriole teams, you know, had the, you know, the less is more teams, you know. I mean, Singleton couldn't run, Dower couldn't run, but they knew how to throw the ball, you know. And, well, and you know, that, and, you know, the, and that's another pet peeve I have about all these shifts. I mean, how can relays be 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 made with the, with players playing out of position so much? You know, all but right. we got to get somebody up the middle 
school will. Uh, yeah, uh, it's very and, unsettled and, there. No question yeah, about it. Yeah. All right, Lee, we can't solve it all in one day. Really appreciate your coming on, taking a break from uh, your what you're doing this afternoon, and uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. All right, and I hope I uh, we're uh, we're all rooting, or those of us who. Uh, haven't swallowed the Yankee Kool-Aid. We're <laughs> all rooting for, for them to have to take a trip to the dump in Oakland. So <laughs> the Orioles have got to help out. And they did. They at least competed last night. Yep. So, you know, all so right. let's hope. All right. All right. We'll Listen. talk to you soon. Thank you, you very much, Lee. The great Bye-bye. Lee Lowenfish. Hey, Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard at postgame. But I will tell you that Ken Zalis is going to be in her place this week. Won't be half as good to look at. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Pressbox Project Game Day, facebook.com slash Sports. Got to tell you about one of our favorite places. Craig and I disagree on a lot of things. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't disagree on uh, Max Scherzer, but one thing we do agree on as well is the Costas Inn. Uh, no question. Tell our listeners a little bit about the well, Costas Inn. Well, you go to Costas Inn on uh, 4100 North Point Boulevard and uh, – you're in for a treat no matter what night you go. Uh, specials all week long. Monday night crab cake uh, specials. Tuesday night uh, is the rib special. Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday steak. Steak night. Thursday you know, lobster. Uh, Thursday lobster. Uh, it's just great. There's a live what, entertainment. What night can you avoid Pete? I mean, Nick. I mean, Nick. Um, what night is Nick uh, not you, there? Usually Mondays. Okay, so Mondays is a Mondays great night. Mondays are a great night to go. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, you got live live music and jazz on Wednesday, the rock and roll on on Friday, and my favorite time to go really is uh, the first Friday of every month because the Rat Pack plays at the Costas Inn. Oh, I thought you were going to say you got your government check the no, first Friday no, of no, every no, month. No, 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 no. Friday, the first Friday of every month, the Rat Pack plays. Rick Oliger and uh, the gang there, Tasso on the drums. Uh, the, the, you won't find a better three-piece band in the Baltimore area than the Rat Pack. All and you right. catch them at the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Great for crabs, crab cakes, and, and a menu that you cannot you, – you can't, you can't help but find something you'll like on that menu. Absolutely. All right, the Costas Inn. We'll be back. Uh, Bill Latson coming up in about nine minutes, but Craig Heiss and I are going to kick things around. And, for and a few. Bill, Bill, before we go to the break, Bill did a interview, a question-answer – uh, in the past week with Ryan Zimmerman when the team was up in Philadelphia. Bill drove down from New York, and they got together, and Ryan uh, gave him some uh, in- inclination about his career, where it's heading, how many more years he'd like to play, and what it's meant to be the face of this franchise since he got here. All right. We'll look forward to talking to Bill Latson momentarily. We'll be back right after these words. 
What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at loopleague.com. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army Reserve, it is a core value, a value that brings together a variety of people from across the nation to answer the call to serve. Serving part-time in the U.S. Army Reserve means earning the respect of your community and your nation, all while pursuing your career and educational goals and staying close to home. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $20,000 in bonuses when you join. To see if you qualify, visit GoArmy.com slash reserve or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, college football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Hey, car fanatics, get your motor revving and head over to the 14th annual Fall Car Show at Jerry Chevrolet. But now, on the new date, Sunday, September 30th. Featuring Corvettes, street rods, customs, trucks, imports, rat rods, vintage, and much more. 23 classes plus another 26 award categories. Car registration is only $20 and proceeds benefit MDA of Greater Maryland. And it's free to attend. But on the new date, Sunday, September 30th. For details, visit Jerry's Auto show.com that's jerry's auto show.com press boxes project game day is back at halftime and post game for every baltimore football game you can react live with us on press boxes facebook page glenn clark hosts at halftime and he's joined by the nfl chick sarita hubbard post game project game day is brought to you by glory days grill catch all of the action at your neighborhood glory days grill where they have tons of tvs to catch every moment of every game glory days grill great food good sports press boxes project game day facebook.com slash press box sports Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. The lineups are up for the Orioles-Yankees game today at 4 o'clock. Cedric Mullins in the leadoff spot, and he'll be in center field. Joey Rickard 
Gets a start in left field. Uh, Jonathan VR is at second base. Adam Jones hits cleanup. He'll be in right field this afternoon. Trey Mancini, the designated hitter. Chris Davis uh, will play first base and hit sixth. Tim Beckham at shortstop, and he'll hit seventh. Uh, Renato Nunez uh, will be uh, at third base. Uh, Austin Wins is the catcher, hitting ninth. And Jeffrey Ramirez on the hill today for the Orioles. Who are the outfielders again today? I know Mullins is in Mullins, center. Mullins, Rickard, and Jones. Okay, no Stewart. No. And who's pitching for the Yankees? Uh, good question. Let's ask our next guest. All right, Bill Latson joins <laughs> us now from MLB.com. It's Hess versus... Is it Hap? No, it's well. It's Ramirez here, according to according to the Oriole lineup. All right. Uh, joining us right now is Bill Latson. Bill, who's pitching for the the Yankees this afternoon? Yeah, they said it's supposed to be J. A. Hap. Yeah, J. Hap. Uh, that okay. explains why Stewart's uh, on the bench. Yeah. Okay, yeah. to start off because with. originally they uh, they had a TBD, and then uh, after the game they announced that Hap was going to start. All right. Hey, the, uh, actually, wait a minute. Today, the starter was originally announced as Lance Lynn. That was last night. They were saying it was going to be Hess against Lance oh, Lynn. Oh, for Sunday's game. All right. Jay Habits for Sunday's game. Okay, so today they're starting a right-handed pitcher. I don't understand why DJ Stewart isn't in the game. All right. Correct. Where, where are you at? I'm at a stickball t- tournament. Oh, that's right. The stickball tournament up near Yankee Stadium, right? That's, that's correct. Are uh, you playing? Are you playing, Bill? How was that? Are you playing stickball? Uh, no, I'm not. Oh, all right. I'm just watching. No, there's uh, just people chasing him with sticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now let me ask you that. Let me ask you this: You uh, went down to Philadelphia earlier in the week and had a t- chance to talk to Ryan Zimmerman of the Nationals. What was that conversation like? Uh, just from the standpoint of Ryan giving you an in- indication of how long he expects to play and that he wants to finish his career out with the Nats. Well, talking to Ryan Zimmerman, it was like old home week to me. And, uh, and you know, Ryan Zimmerman believes that he has four or five years left in the game. Wow. And this is, this is right after, you know, uh, David Wright, his boyhood friend, announced that he was going to retire. So uh, he wants to play. He says he feels great. It's the best he's felt in quite a while, he said. And, uh, and he is having a, a good year after he came back from his injury. So, uh, you know, and he wants to play all, those, all his games with the Nationals. And, uh, and part of that is because, you know, uh, you know he's, he's still taking care of his mother and his uh, family is, is all in uh, the D.C. area, as you know. Yeah, and uh, I know he had some thoughts on on being kind of the face of the franchise since he came up in late 05, uh, but uh, what did he tell you about his career and just the fact that he's been able to stay with one team his whole career? Uh, he loves it, and, and the reason he wants to stay that way is because of his family. Um, as you know, uh, his mother's ill. And uh, he doesn't want to go anywhere else. He told me that. He doesn't want to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And, but it's going to be interesting to see if the Nationals will give him, you know, uh, you know, five more years. Now, Ryan Zimmerman did tell me, that keeps us in mind, that he knows that he's not going to make $20 million a year. Yeah. He's going to have to take a pay cut. So um, we'll see how much he'll take, and uh, we'll see how many years the Nationals will give him. 
is he, you know, and I've never met Ryan Zimmerman, but is he as nice a guy as you've met in baseball? I don't mean to ask you no a, question a, a puff question. He yeah. seems like the most genuine guy out there. No question. He's a great guy. Um, I can give you an example of that. 2006, of uh, 2006 Nationals, worst team I ever covered. Right. From a personality standpoint, Ryan Zimmerman didn't, uh, you know, like uh, put himself below, you know, those people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a great guy. He's always great to talk to. And uh, I never seen Ryan Zimmerman get mad. And I got to give you one more example. You know, when it comes to controversy, I, I felt bad asking Ryan Zimmerman questions regarding injuries and stuff. And I, and I started off by saying, Jim, I'm sorry to ask you this. And you know what? He interrupted me. He said, Bill, stop, stop uh, uh, saying you're sorry. Just right. ask the question. Right. I mean, that's how genuine he is. And uh, I will always love him for that. Yeah, and you know that year you're talking about, we both lived through it. Uh, he hit 20 home runs and drove in 110. And uh, he was really the shining star on what was a really, really bad team. But I, I, I look at the last two years, and everybody, you know, he wins comeback player of the yeah, year. It was last remarkable year. It was last remarkable. year, yeah. 144 yeah. games. So, I mean, Dusty Baker did a great job in terms of knowing when to give him a day here or there. That kind of thing went a long way to keeping him healthy. And, uh, you know, he winds up with 36 homers, 108 RBI. And this year, he's only played 80 games to this point right. because of the injuries. But you're still looking at 13 homers and 49 RBI, and when you're going from that, if you yeah, if you double if you, that if you up, double that up, yeah. those numbers are going to be Ryan Zimmerman type numbers yeah. again. Yeah. Yes, yes, and it's a matter of Ryan Zimmerman staying healthy. Uh, that that's the key. And uh, Ryan Zimmerman also told me that he's going to try to avoid certain things next year, and uh, and one of them is diving. And you know he's going to avoid doing the things he used to do. Uh, is he going to? Is he going to try to avoid Craig Heist? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you mean. That would help. That would help yeah, him yeah. his career a great that deal. That would help. That would you see. See how much better you got once you left uh, the D.C. area, Bill. Uh no, no, come on, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Hey, you alluded to this in your answer about Zimmerman and the locker room. You find that that's the case that a lot of guys who are good guys will let a lousy locker room affect them, and they sort of get swallowed up as being part of it rather than standing out as being different from a bad locker room. Uh, you, uh, say it again. I'm sorry. What you mentioned before that you, you, it was such a bad team and it was a bad locker room, and you said it didn't kind of swallow him up. Do you find that a lot of players who maybe inherently are good people, they just get swallowed up by a bad locker room? They don't stand yes, up. Yeah, yes, yes. But but Ryan didn't get swallowed up. Yeah. Um, yeah. He uh, the guy just was himself. He was unbelievable, and uh, you know he was Frank Robinson's best player that year. So uh, yes, uh, I, I would say uh, most most players do get swallowed up, but. Ryan Zimmerman was one guy that didn't do that. Well, the one thing Zim took a lot of criticism for this year was back in spring training when he decided he was going to get a lot of his work and his at-bats in on the backfields and in minor league games and not play in the regular spring training games at the stadium in West Palm. And 
as as the spring went on, there was more speculation about how this you know might turn out. Well, obviously, if he gets off to a good start and he's hitting like 300 or 330 in the first month of the year and he's being a run producer, no nobody, says nobody says a thing. Right. But he gets off to the slow start and then he winds up getting injured. And and he and I had this conversation. We, I, I told him, I said, you know, you kind of set yourself up for this. He says, yeah, he says, but I felt like I what I did was the right thing right for thing. me. And that had the backing of Dave Martinez, wrongly or rightly, and the organization, so right. Uh, but but he did set himself up for that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen next year. I'll, no. I'll be shocked. If I don't happens. think it is either. <laughs> We're talking with Bill Latson. No. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. Bill, I want you to uh, uh, assess the relative markets right now of Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Where is your best guess as to where both are playing next year? and kind of roughly the terms of their length of contract and dollars? Well, you know, obviously I have not talked to those guys, but I do think right now I think Bryce Harper is going to go somewhere else. Um, I think he would either go to the Phillies or the Dodgers. I think he would go back to the West. He could go back to the West Coast. Okay. Because that's where he's from. Manny Machado, uh, I mean, he's doing well with the Dodgers, but... I don't know. I think it depends on, uh, you, you know, I mean, the Dodgers can afford to keep him. I mm-hmm. mean, so I say he stays with the Dodgers. So you could, right. you actually could see a lineup that might include both of them in that lineup? Uh, it, it could be. But, but like I said, uh, with Harper, Harper could go to the Dodgers or he could go to the Phillies. Uh, you, you just never know. All right. See, I'm of the belief that if Bryce leaves the Nationals and right. goes somewhere else, I just can't see him playing in Philadelphia. What I can see him playing in is is L.A. Mm-hmm. or also I think the Cubs would be a a good fit for him as well. I just don't see Bryce playing in Philadelphia. Do you do you see San Francisco with the money they have? You know, no. they still sell no. out. You don't see them being no. a player for either uh, guy. Because uh, if, if you look at uh, the, the San park, Francisco, the park, so yeah, the park is too big. Okay, no, absolutely not. All right, we're no. talking with Bill yeah. Latson, Bill of MLB.com. Bill, now I want you to uh, put on your thinking cap and help us start to look. We're we're roughly 10, 12 days away from the playoffs. And before starting. you ask this question, yeah. keep in mind that's a small cap. <laughs> Yeah. All right, but we didn't say anything about poo-poo. Uh, that's right, that's poo-poo. true, that's true. Uh, Bill, handicap the playoffs for us. What do you think, um, What do you think? how do you think this is going to shake out and who makes it to the World Series? Uh, you know what, I, I think it's going to be uh, Houston and Boston in the uh, ALCS. The National League is kind of tough. Uh you said you, you I, said I Houston and who? Houston. And Boston and in the Boston. ALCS. Okay. 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 And uh, and uh, in the uh, NLCS, I kind of like the Braves, and uh, the, I, I'm going to say the Dodgers again. Yeah, I've yeah, got and, the Dodgers. Uh, I've got the Dodgers getting back to the World Series all of a sudden. I think it's some of it's coming together. For a lot, a lot of things can change between now and a month from now. But yeah. all of those teams in the National League, right? have bullpen issues mm-hmm. and certainly certainly the the Braves are one of them I mean the Braves they've won the division 
but 90 wins might might just get it for their their final record. Right. Uh, they they have right. a bad bad time in Chicago right now, having lost Pedro Strope. Mm-hmm. You know, and and knowing that uh, their other uh, back end guy Morrow right. is it's out done. is done, done for, for the right. year. So they've got issues. Uh, Kenley Jansen hasn't been Kenley Jansen since he came back off the DL. Uh, although having him at the back end from a psychological standpoint probably helps the Dodgers. I but think he's pitched a little better the last eight or ten days. Right, I like I say, yeah. and some things can change between now and a month from now. So I don't have right, any problem. Right. I don't have any problem saying the Dodgers would have a, a, a better chance. And I'm selfish. I like Nick Marcakis, and even though they're in the Nats division. There's enough to like about the Braves with Brian Snitker as their uh, manager right. and some of the things that they do. Acuna Jr. is just a great player. Uh, right. And, and Ozzie Albies is just a, another great player and a great compliment to Acuna. Uh, I like the Braves. I could agree with you on that. But something tells me with the way that the Cubs can bash the baseball, mm-hmm. uh, they can't be overlooked. Okay. They might not yeah. get there, but they can't be overlooked. Right. I don't think they. I don't think they have enough pitching, and you know the distraction what they're going through now. Yeah. You know, with their shortstop, I just don't see the the Cubs advancing to the World Series what? or even to the uh, to the NLCS. I, I really believe that uh, they're not good enough. One of the questions I have for you, Bill, because you you're a student of this, do you think uh, Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer? made the Daniel Murphy trade sort of waiting for the shoe to drop on this Addison Russell thing? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, because if you remember last year, we talk about Addison uh, Russell now. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the thing was, uh, the case was closed cause, because he said he was innocent of the, all the charges or anything. Right. And, uh, you know, now, you know, we found out that he was lying. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, I, I do not think it had anything to do with Aston Russell. I just think they made the trade because they needed a second base. So, right. Uh, so, so that was that was it. And Mur- Mur- Murphy, Murphy hit the home run yesterday against the White Sox. And, you know, here's another thing. Here you are a week, a week away from the end of the regular season, and you're playing interleague baseball. Uh, against your crosstown rival. I mean, how much kind of sense does that make? I don't know. But anyway, what's the stickball competition like up there? Well, it's two nothing. Uh, the uh, re- uh, Red uh, Legends versus Navy Blue Pinstripes, and uh, I gotta get back to this game. All, All right, right. Well, let me let me ask you one quick question before you go, and that's uh, this one game playoff that's uh, staring you right in the face between the Yankees and the uh, Athletics, the wild card Craig, game. I don't have to even think about it. It's one and I told you this already, and you you know I'm, I'm neutral. It's one and done. For uh, the Yankees. You think so? If it's if, if the done. Yankees even, even if, if the Yankees have to make that trip out to the West Coast, you ain't going to think that. One and done. Okay. It doesn't matter where it's played. Okay. One and done. Even right. if Jay Happ's pitching. One and done. All right. All right. Or throw Sonny, Sonny Gray out there. Or other, any of the other fine. Oh, Sonny Gray, come on, man. Any of the other fine starters that the Yankees have. Let me tell you something. In my opinion, and you know I'm neutral. Yeah, very I, neutral. I the, right. Yeah. I think, the, I think the Yankees pitching staff is overrated. <laughs> well, we knew that. 
Well, we so, will agree with one thing. It's overpaid. It's overpaid. It's overrated. All right. Listen. Yeah, it's what it does. Go back to the stick, Paul. We'll talk to you soon. We'll grab you during the playoffs, all right? Right after the, it, right after the Athletics beat the Yankees. All right. He's predicting it. Leave huh? him alone. Yeah. Leave him alone. That's my friend, Bill Latson. I'm glad right, he's somebody's bye. friend. Bye. All right. All right. There you have it, Bill Latson. <laughs> when did you guys know you were going to be friends? Probably in the first year. You know, it's it's funny. Because and, and you said, didn't know and, him. And there's a certain if the Nat Stone moved to Washington, I, you don't I know. know. I would know. No, yeah. and he and he's told me about being at Cal Ripken's twenty one thirty one and right. everything else. And I mean, I I would have never known. But one of the great things about being Bill's friend is that uh, he picks up the checks. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I wished. Anyway, uh, is the fact that there we talk about a lot of different things. We disagree on a lot of different mm-hmm. things. Uh, but the one thing that uh, I think kind of bonded us together was when Frank Robinson was the manager of that team the first two years. And I told him, I said, after after 06, I said, if the, if the Nats are not going to bring him back mm-hmm. in this city, they better be very careful how they handle, handle right. the dismissal. Right. Uh, because a lot of different things can blow up that way. Uh, uh from a racial standpoint, from a fact that, you know, Frank is a legend in this area with his time with the Orioles, and here's a guy that uh, is a Hall of Famer, uh, an MVP in both leagues, a guy that managed both the teams in this area. Uh, And I just said, I said, he's beloved. I said, they better be very careful how they handle it. And then three or four years later, you know, after Bill gets more of uh, an idea what the landscape is, he comes to me, he says, you know, you're right. He says... They needed to be really careful with how they handled that Frank Robinson situation. I forget. Who did they hire after Frank? Uh, who did they hire? wasn't Riggleman. No, no. It might have been Manny Act after that. That's right. It was Manny. I'm pretty sure. And I don't think, yeah, I don't think there was anybody between that, uh, between Frank and Manny. Yeah. All right. We're talking with uh, Craig Heist and I are wrapping up another edition of the Battle Round. want to remind you that tomorrow morning at 1030, um, 10.30 a.m. on Channel 2, Inside Press Box. Are you going to be able to – that's my oh. Facebook thing. I have a cousin of mine. I have a big family Well, you family know, there, thing. there's a thing Are, on the volume where you can mute the volume. Never heard of that. Yeah. Never heard of that. Uh, are you going to be able to make it in some Thursday in November, say? I'm sure, yeah. All right. We can do that. All right. How much can we charge you for doing that? Uh, just enough <laughs> – enough – Enough uh, for me to watch uh, the video that you and Gary Stein post outside the you love Channel that, 2's. Don't you? I do. Yeah. It shows yeah. up. That's is one it, of the, is it, do you like that better than the hot dog races? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> although, you, although there are two hot dogs standing in front did, of the Channel 2 studios. Did you see the hot dog race the other day that they put in the middle of the Hurricane Florence? It was in the boats. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's that's a standard. They do that. They, they do. do that every now and then. Where the boats, and then uh, one of the boats goes up underground, right. and then it comes back up at third base. It's great. <laughs> yeah, they cheat. All right, <laughs> all right. We're going to take our final time out, and during that time out, I've got to tell some folks about big uh, big bats again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what do you like about big bats aside from the well, bases? Uh, besides the bases, uh the fact that it's convenient, you're on right. your way to the Eastern Shore, you want lunch, dinner, you can stop, grab something. They have great subs, sandwiches, uh, and uh, you're able to go in there and sit down and watch some games if there's games on the TV, and there usually is. 
but uh, service very good, and it's a great place to watch your steam rooms in that place. They have an Orioles steam room, which have a lot of Orioles memorabilia from the World Championship days, uh, older players that uh, some fans may have forgotten about, but your memory will soon be refreshed when you see this room. And how's the food? Food's great. Yeah. Food's great. I had, uh, last time I was in there, I had a cheesesteak sandwich along with uh, some clam chowder. They do a super job yeah, with the burgers, the yep. cheesesteaks, the subs, the soups are all good. Big Bats, located 216 St. Clair Place. Again, if you're driving down to the eastern shore, it's the first exit after the Bay Bridge, Stevensville. Mm-hmm. Pull up to the stop sign, make a left-hand turn about a quarter of a mile down on the right-hand side. Tell them that Stan the Fan and Craig Heist sent you to Big Bats. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Eck looks at Raven superstar Terrell Suggs and how he still sizzles now in his 16th season in Baltimore. Plus, Simon Hathamarium introduces you to the newest Flacco on the Baltimore sports scene. That's Towson Tigers quarterback Tom Flacco. And Bo Smolka profiles new Ravens receiver John Brown. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition and the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with the 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listener if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts what's up it's kz this season you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at weekly click the link pinned at the top of my twitter page that's at fans fantasy and pick any five games against the spread every week it's free to sign up and someone wins a 25 dollars royal farms gift card every single week plus we'll have great season-long prizes as well and check out all the other awesome games at loop league where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time join our picks league now at loopleague.com this is former Trip AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster and from I the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on 
on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. All right, Stan the Fan back here with Craig Heist. And uh, again, we remind you that tomorrow you'll have the Fantasy and Reality Football Show, 10 to 12. I don't know if Sarita's going to be on that show with Ken Zales. I think she has a wedding to attend. And then um, it'll, it'll be over soon. The show will be over soon. Uh, if it's not, that computer's going out the window. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll take a check for $1,500. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah uh-huh. okay. Um, uh, and then during the game at halftime, Glenn Clark will be on with Project Game Day. Then after the game, Ken Zalis will be on with Glenn Clark for more Project Game Day after the game. And they'll uh, they'll dissect everything. Yeah, who who you like in tomorrow's two local games? Well, I I like you know what I'm going to pick the Redskins tomorrow for this standpoint. I know it's Aaron Rodgers. I know it's the Packers, and but but you know. They played to that tie with the Vikings, and then uh, the the emotional game before that, where Rodgers goes down with the knee injury, but still is able to come back and and play in the second half and lead them to the victory. I just think there'll be a little bit of a letdown. I think the Redskins, coming off the loss to the Colts at home, will be ready to play tomorrow. Up here, uh, I think the Broncos two and zero starts a pretty weak two and zero start. So I look for the Ravens to bounce back against. Uh, you like the Ravens minus four and a half or five and a half? I'm seeing uh, five and a half. Five and a half worries me. I could see it being a little bit of a closer game. Yeah, than I think it's a two or three point yeah. game. All right, but I think the Ravens. I think the Ravens take care of business at home. Yeah, and I think the Packers. If I'm reading it right, I think the Packers really wallop the Redskins tomorrow. You know, you you know them a bit better than I do. But I just think Rodgers is. How's their defense? Oh, Redskins, Redskins defense, defense. Redskins defense is better than it was last year. No question about it. And uh, they played a very good game against Arizona on the road and uh, came back here and did not was not able to run the football. Now that could be the the monkey wrench in the whole thing. If the Packers defense stops the Redskins running game, that puts more pressure on Alex Smith to try to get the ball downfield, and that's not always. Uh, conducive to winning if you're Alex Smith. And how many touches does Adrian Peterson get? I think he's got to get at least 20 touches tomorrow out of the backfield. And you think he's up to the task? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's healthy. He's ready to go. He's raring to go. Yep. Have you interviewed him yet? Talked to him? Not yet. Okay. All right. Many thanks for being in, Craig. What's your schedule next Saturday? Do you have any idea? Uh, I'll be at the Orioles game against the uh, Astros. What time is that? That's a night game. I think that's a night game, so we so should, you be, should here. be here. Yeah, yeah. Unless, right. unless uh, something's going on with Maryland, but I don't think they're home next week. All right. Thank you, buddy. Yep. Thanks to Brittany Everett for, making, uh, for playing Traffic Cop for us again. We thank you for tuning in, and uh, again, 10 to 12 is your spot uh, at facebook.com slash Sports. Glenn Clark, Monday through Friday. The bat around Saturdays and um, Ken Zalis on Sundays with Sarita Hubbard. That's it for us. Have a great weekend.